the creative feels like if I focus too much on that, it's going to take me away from my creative process. What I've learned in leadership, personal development, mindset, is if you get better inside and you go inside, you actually, you actually get better at the creative process. the other day john is that when joe rogan starts his podcast he says boom too and i never realized that wow so in other words we're just yeah. like everybody else <laughs> well i'm i consider myself a more muscular version uh, <laughs> of joe rogan or me <laughs> no joe rogan oh, okay good. <laughs> No, you're, and you're the you're the you're the you're the essence of a manly man. Hi, everyone. Oh. Welcome to the Shop Talk Podcast, brought to you by One Two Four Bone. Your co-host, Chris Sulman, as usual, sitting here, well, sort of, with my great friend, Mister John Palmieri. He's across the screen, and we have an incredible guest today that I'm super excited about talking about. I promised John that I was not going to compliment you more anymore on your guest selection, so you get no compliment today. <laughs> Even though you brought us another amazing guest. Um, and just in the warm-up conversation, I've just learned so much, you know, about this person that I, we've only met uh, Christine Zielinski, by the way, who's on the other side of the Zoom. So welcome, Christine. Thank you. Yeah. Honored to be here with both of you. Thank totally you. Totally thank you for joining us. Um, I mean, it's amazing how somebody that you don't know that's been living in the industry um, can can get so much done in you know a, a career and still I'm I'm looking at somebody who's young enough to have another career ahead of you um, and so uh, what I love about this podcast is we've you know had the opportunity to talk to people that are still boots on the ground and you know we think there's a lot of great conversations out there with people that have been there done it and are are on the other end of it. And we love talking to people that are, are, have been there, are doing it, and are still going to be around for a long time, you know? And I get the feeling that's the case. But, uh, but with that said, um, for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of you before, you know, you're a, you're a hairdresser at heart, mm -hmm. uh, is what I just learned about you. And you started out, you did a lot of time and invested a lot of your education um, in and around the Vedal Sassoon world, which you know, has had a real re-emergence, I feel, in the past few years with even these really blunt bob shapes coming back in. And I notice in a younger crowd that precision cutting and those geometric shapes has, has really um, captured their hearts. And so I think that's pretty cool. You're, you're still a salon owner. You own Salon Concrete, which I, I don't know where that is. Where, where are you located? Um, right now I'm in Homedell, New Jersey. Um, we were in Red Bank for 20 years, and actually, we just merged our locations. So I had two locations, and we just merged into our newest location, which is in a 2 million square foot um, sort of multi-space uh, oh, building. Awesome. It's an iconic building in Homedale, New Jersey. It's where uh, they actually invented the cell phone. So they oh. have a lot of patents that came out of that building. Oh, that's amazing. Awesome. Um, and, but not only are you a hairdresser, you live that life for a lot of years. You know, at some point, I think like a lot of pros do, you got so good at doing hair that you started to teach it. You know, you found this kind of passion or you always had this something inside of you that wanted to give back. Um, and then from there, you know, teaching it and teaching haircutting kind of felt like it had maybe, I don't want to say plateaued, but you'd done all you could do with that. And you sort of dove into... Um, more of the personal development piece or added that in. Um, and so you're, you're a John Maxwell uh, trained coach. You were a strategies consultant, um, which we had Neil Dukoff on here uh, a few months back and he was fantastic. Love Neil. Uh, yeah, he was just amazing. And um, you did a TED talk, which I think is just so unique. Um, and so those of you listeners that are interested in uh, hearing a, a hairstylist on a TED talk, 
your TED talk is called Here I Am. And it really deep dives into, I think, a very profound reality that, you know, I don't know, you talk to a lot of people in corporate America and they know that they work somewhere, you know, they identify maybe a little bit with their job because I think it becomes a little bit of a part of you. But if you talk to most people in the salon industry, there's a real identification that have a personal branding, if you will, that happens when somebody feels like they live the life of a hairstylist. And I think it's, I don't know if I'm right about that, but I think it's quite unique uh, to our industry. And um, I haven't watched your TED talk, but I can't wait to like right after we get done this interview. So, you know, obviously a million different ways that we can go uh, today. John, I know that you and Christine have some history because you were back at Strategies right. um, yeah. for years as well as a consultant. And um, so, yeah, why you, yeah, oh, that's awesome. So why don't you direct us in the way that you want this to begin? Well, I always like to start with, you know, how people got into this industry, because I always think that's kind of like the gel that holds us together, right? So I'm going to start there. Christine, how did hairdressing happen to you? How did you, how did you join this industry? What was it about it that, you know, you thought was magic? How did you become a hairdresser? Well, I originally became a hairdresser because I, um, I actually uh, grew up with a learning disability. I have dyslexia and um, slow auditory processing. So was I was never the student. Mm -hmm. I was always the rebel. And so um, with that became, um, how do I stand out and how do I find my way and how do I become, um, I guess it was safe in a way, like mm -hmm. it was this protected shield that I put up because um, I was sort of compromising uh, to just try to figure out who I was. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started coloring my hair and, when I was very young, and um, it was super inspiring to me. And so when I was, uh, I think it was probably like sixth grade, I was 12 years old, and I started to color all of my friend's hair. And so it became almost like a job before right. the job. And yeah. so... In high school, you know, all my friends would come over and it was like, let's go to Christine. I started hanging around with a lot of people that were musicians and bands and I would color their hair. And so uh, that's kind of how it's organically started. And mm -hmm. my mother tried to persuade me to do something else. And mm -hmm. uh, I fought to be a hairdresser. And uh, shortly after I got my license, I signed up for Vidal Sassoon. I started in the city mm -hmm. and my sister was working um, in Manhattan at the time and she encouraged me to come in um, to apply for some different salons and okay. uh, I did. I, I applied to several salons and when I walked into Vidal Sassoon, uh, the edge, the energy uh, just attracted me and so mm -hmm. that's where I sort of found my home for I guess I was in New York for about seven years until mm -hmm. I transferred uh, shortly after I went through their training program. Um, I just felt the urge to want to be better and to want to teach. Mm -hmm. So I transferred to Los Angeles and started working at the Vidal Sassoon Academy in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, that's where I found my love. That's, you mentioned the energy, you mentioned the edge when you walked into the room, but what was it, you know, about that company that made you stick around for so long? I mean, what was it about, you know, Vidal Sassoon that just captured your attention beyond the energy and that, that edge? Obviously there was more to it than that. Well, there, there was, I feel like there was a deeper meaning and purpose, one to give back to the people mm -hmm. in our industry. Mm -hmm. And there was also uh, this, Every single person that worked for Vidal Sassoon wanted to be the best that they could possibly be. And so there, there was a, there was a, the edge that they were not going to hold on to anyone that didn't want the same goals. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, um, it was just a great place to be because you knew that you were around like-minded people. You knew that the people all had the same mission and the mm -hmm. same goal. And that was, how can we be the best possible hairdresser we can be mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And then how could we teach others to do the same? So right. that's really what kept me around for so you many know, years. So often we have this very conversation with anybody that was in and around that world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'm not going to repeat by, by asking a lot of the same questions that maybe we've asked people like Sally Rogerson or Tim Hartley or, you know, those type of people. But it, it does beg, to, the question does beg to be asked um, because it always comes up. This, this culture was developed in such a way that everybody there wanted to be the best. Um, is, has that fire still, is that, does that still exist? You know, it's, it's a great question. I think it does. Um, and I, I do, I think I see people that even work for me that are striving to want that, like they're hungry for that. I just, unfortunately don't always think that there's enough of us to uh, there's just not enough mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> i wish there were more <laughs> but um you know it's i get one maybe every several years that really are willing to stick it out because the hard the fact of the matter is that doesn't come easy. You want to be the best, it's going to take time. Right. And I feel like the biggest challenge right now is people want things, but they want things fast. And fast doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You want to be, you either have to choose. Yeah. Do you right. want to be great or do you want to be fast? Because the two don't and, necessarily go hand in hand, do they? No. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the challenges that, you know, most of the industry faces right now, because I think with influencer culture, right, uh, being able to see everything on Instagram or see everything on Facebook. And, you know, we, we have this new language that we've kind of developed over the last couple of years about um, things like charge your work, you know, know your worth, which I think is a, an interesting phrase right now, because while we say that, I don't think people know what that means at the same time. Right. Um, but in an industry now where, you know, half the industry, if not a little bit more is booth rental. Right. Um, I don't know that our, I don't know if our industry is set up logistically to create that anymore. And I don't know if that's true, but that's my suspicion, right. That we no longer live in an environment or maybe being the best for most people, I don't want to say everybody because that's not true. I don't know that that's important anymore to a lot of people. I don't know if it's because it's, we just haven't put an emphasis on it anymore. The, I, I just wrote something down when, when you were talking that triggered, you know, mm -hmm. a lot happens in that time. Mm -hmm. And I think where this is what the challenge is, mm -hmm. uh, is it's not just you're learning how to cut hair well. Mm -hmm. You're learning how to service clients and add value to people. Mm -hmm. You're learning how to be self-accountable. Mm -hmm. You're learning how, what it takes to be great. I mean, there's all of these things in that time period. And what happens is when you shorten the time, you shorten all of those experiences. Right. And so, yes, you may learn how to cut hair, uh, but you're missing a lot of the other really important components that make up a great hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And I do see in these, in the younger hairdressers that are there, I do see that people are asking for this. It's just the patience that they have is not there. Pretty slim. <laughs> right. And so I think if they realized what they were what they were going to take away and what they are what they were going to not get by by stripping themselves of this right. i feel like they they wouldn't trade that mm -hmm. and it's interesting because i i'm i'm certain you know that some that somebody who's a listener to a podcast like this one um is probably that as i call them one of the few uh that you know is is driving to work right now you know listening to somebody maybe they've heard of or not heard of, 
sharing, you know, an educational message or an inspirational message. Um, I remember being young and, and want just, just thirsting to be the best, whatever that meant. Right. Um, and so I, I, I'm sure that there, you know, that it still exists, like you said, in a, in, in a, in the, in the number that isn't as great as maybe it, it could be. Um, with, with that said, what is it, uh, that was driving that desire to be the best and what, what are some of the kind of benefits of, of acting and acting that out, playing that out, um, for a younger stylist who is maybe developing or, or even for a veteran stylist who maybe has secretly been in a rut, not really given it, you know, they're all knowing that I'm not giving it my all. Um, what are the benefits of kind of getting back in the game? Well, I, I always think like asking myself the questions of why, like, why, why do I want to be that good? Like what, what's the purpose of, of really being that good? And the one thing I could say that I strive to be better so that I can contribute to others. And it was, it, if I was just, I mean, if I was just trying, trying to be good for myself, I don't think I would have continued to be mm -hmm. honest with you. And I don't think I would continue to strive to be better in the personal development area that I am looking to be better. If I didn't think there was a higher mission and a higher purpose for why I'm here on this planet. And mm -hmm. so I, I feel like there, there's a more spiritual side of me that is, I, I feel like I have a responsibility and a duty to be the best possible version of myself that I could be. And I feel like when I'm not living to that, then I feel that there's a heavy weight on me mm -hmm. that I'm not using my resources that I was given. Mm -hmm. And so um, if it was just really pertaining to me and the selfish part of me, I don't think I would really strive that far. Mm -hmm. And it's you know, interesting because I don't think a lot, you know, I, you, what you just said was, I think really profound. I think there are a lot of really great hairdressers out there that plateau. And then one of the things I know that John believes that I believe that you seem to believe wholeheartedly is that um, we do all this stuff so we can kind of pass it on. Sure. And it's in the passing on that sort of the, the fire gets bigger, mm -hmm. you know, Right. So that's pretty cool. John, I saw you were about to ask a question. Sorry for cutting you off. No, good. Um, you know, what I want to talk a little bit, you know, since we're talking about giving back, uh, I want to talk about your TED Talk a little bit because sure. I think when we, when we talked about it before we went on, before we became live, you know, there was a connection to that in your, your origin story about how you started being a hairdresser, right? So yeah. tell us a little bit about that and what brought about this idea for your TED Talk and, and share with the audience what that was like. So, um, well, my, my, the TED talk was on identity and I felt like I could really relate to the, the topic. And as I started to write, uh, the, the script for my, for my talk, I really started to think about like what brought me in to be a hairdresser. And it was this process of wanting to change my identity because I was going through a hard time in school. I wasn't fitting into the to the box. I wasn't, you know, sort of this mainstream, you know, get A's and B's on your tests. I was, I was always the, the rebel kid mm -hmm. and they couldn't ever keep me in school. I, you know, and so I was sort of labeled with this disability and I had this stigma that I, I'm not a student. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough. And so when I really started to, uh, to focus on the TED talk, I thought, you know, what helped me with that identity was changing my hair color. Mm -hmm. As crazy as it seems, I, I changed my hair color black and it made me feel like a different person. I, I felt like I was stronger. I felt like I was braver. I felt like I had more courage. 
And as I started to become that person, that's when I really started to do more hair and I got into the hair industry. And then I really started thinking about as I was developing the talk, I started thinking about how some people don't allow people to even be themselves in their identity with hair. So mm -hmm. an example would be, um, there's so many women that want to get their hair cut and their husband right. prohibits them from cutting their hair. And so- Baby, I like your hair long, don't cut it, right? That takes somebody's identity away because here somebody wants to live into who they are, but they can't. And then there's the, I bring up, then there's the woman with cancer and there's one woman that wants to wear a wig because she feels like she's not mm -hmm. herself if she doesn't. And then there's women that I see that shave their head bald and they are saying like, I feel courageous because I'm able to, you know, show my identity without hair. Mm -hmm. So I feel like hair plays such an important part and a role in who we are. You know, your story reminds me of a client that I had. I had this client for a number of years, probably 10 years or so. And she had gotten cancer and she had long hair and of course lost it all. And when she came back to the salon after, you know, she went into remission, she had this really short, short haircut, obviously, because the hair was growing out, right? And it was beautiful. It looked so good on her. And every time she came in, she'd be like, I'm growing my hair out. And I was like, okay. And, you know, eight weeks later, growing my hair out. And I'm like, why are you growing your hair out? It looks so good short on you. And she looked me right in, the, right in the eye and said, it wasn't my choice. It doesn't make any difference how mm. good you think it looks. And I appreciate the compliment, but this was not my choice. You know, wow. I, and I was just like blown away because at the same time, she was probably maybe 30, right? And wow. to have that kind of understanding of, like you said, hair and identity and how important it was to her. Um, and to your point, you know, it's not my choice. Just like the woman who, who has the ponytail because her husband likes it long. Yeah. But it's not, it's not her choice. No. And yeah. I feel like as I went through the process of writing that and really, really sort of taking a deep dive into that process on identity, it made me really realize that we, we have such an impact in people's mm. lives and shaping their identity. And in many times, it could just be a question that we ask. And it, you know, we just have the capability of making people feel and live a certain way based on their hair. So, you know, I didn't, I never thought about this before and Chris, you know, don't forget it, but I'm going to steal the mic from you. Um, I wonder, you know, Chris and I have always kind of bounced back and forth the idea that, you know, we believe that the hair industry saves people's lives. And I'm not trying to make that sound silly. I, I really believe that. I know Chris does too. And totally. then listening to you right now just kind of, you know, hit me. I wonder if that's part of the, the beauty of our industry is it allows people to make choices that they otherwise, there are so many other places in their lives they can't make a choice. Here's the one thing where I can actually take some control over my life and how I look and how I push myself out into the world is I get to choose that. Yeah. And that's what I did when I was a younger kid because I felt like I didn't have that many choices. Sure. But that doing that made me feel like I could control something and make me feel good about something. I, I you know, and we're not going to deep dive what I'm about to say. <laughs> but I, but I, I think people do that with avatars today, you know, with online <laughs> presences, you know, they, they sure. get to sort of create a story around um, themselves. And I, and I don't think I'm an old guy and I don't think it's as strange as I think it is. I, I think it's a very natural thing to look around at circumstances and go, what's the fastest, easiest way that I can, that I can not be me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and hair has always been a good one or that I can be a better version or the best right. version of me or the version of me that I see myself as. Right. You know, mom, dad, you see me as your blonde, you know, little girl. Mm -hmm. And I see myself as black haired, strong, yeah. you know, I, I'm picturing you with a bob. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly you know, what but like, you know, and, 
um, I'm picturing, you know, tr Trinity from the matrix, you know, <laughs> you know, and pigtails, you know, um, and pom poms. And that's not who I am. And I'm, and I'm going to put that forward and, and, and agreed. You reminded me of, and I'm, I, I'm embarrassed that I'm not re recalling her name right now. Cause I did she and her sister's hair for a long time, but a makeover I did on a 15 year old who had just spent a year in a back brace and was uh, uh, destined to be a tall, beautiful woman, but was in the lanky stage mm. of her life. And that uh, we did a shoot with her as, you know, at the salon. And of course she blossomed after the shoot. It was a, it was a full on and complete makeover. And she literally turned into a different person. Mm. I mean, you you couldn't have imagined what happened to her uh, afterwards, and and I don't think it's that abnormal. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody listening can relate, and if you haven't done one of those yet, you're probably just still new enough yeah. that you haven't had that cross your chair. Right. But and we take for granted, which is where I'm going with the question now. You know we hear this all the time. You're more than just a hairdresser. You're, mm. you're, you're worth this, not because you should charge overcharge somebody, but you're worth it because of the value that you actually bring, uh, the intangible value that can't be measured inside of somebody when you make a change on them. Um, and I guess I want to know, are, are people that you're working with starting to hear that? Are, are you noticing that lately that means more than it did in February, let's say, you know, before we've had all of these changes happening in the industry and the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think that people have a little bit more of more gratitude if for the hairdresser mm -hmm. uh, now, especially. And so uh, I think that time away really allowed people um, time to think about themselves because it's an introspective thing. I mean, identity and trying to figure out who you are and who you want to be is, is, you know, it's a self-reflective process. So you can't, I think sometimes when we stopped for those three months, I feel like clients and our teams and the people around us had time to really sort of search, do a, a little bit of searching. So I feel like now more than ever, people are trying to figure out who am I? What am I doing here? Who am I supposed to be? And what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. So By the way, my client's name was Britta. Okay. You remembered. I just, I had to spit it out. I just couldn't hold it in. <laughs> um, Agreed. One of the yeah. things that I know you're really working on right now that's really important is you're working with the John Maxwell Leadership um, Company. Yes. What was it about that particular company or what was it about that direction that became important to you? Why that? Why John Maxwell? Well, I... Uh, in 2014, probably 2013, 14, right around there, uh, was my company was growing and I was at a very frustrating point. One, at, at a, as a creative and as a hairdresser, I um, was on the Davinus artistic team for about 14 years at that time. I led all their uh, haircutting training and uh, I was at a point where I thought, what is the next place for me? Uh, I, I could keep going on in the hair world and, you know, really become, uh, I was working a lot with Angelo Seminara at the time and I was mm -hmm. traveling to Italy. And I remember I was on a train ride home from Italy. And I thought to myself, do I want to be a platform artist. Now I know that sounds funny because here I am traveling to it Italy and you know doing this work for a lot of years. But I really started to put this together and think I am going to train with someone 
that is they are at the top of their career and this is what they do. Do I want to do that? Mm -hmm. Right. And I really started to put some thought into it. And I said, what is the one thing I feel that I'm missing that I want to get better at? And what came to mind was I had walked out of a, a haircutting seminar in Brooklyn and I felt like I didn't give enough. Mm -hmm. I had just done this class. I had been at this salon several times and I know this might sound crazy, but I actually felt like I was lying to them by saying, I'm going to teach you how to cut hair and you're going to be successful mm -hmm. because I honestly knew that just me teaching that class wasn't going to bring them success unless they made themselves successful. So mm -hmm. I thought, how can I take this to this next level? How can I help people change their life? How can I contribute to people more than I've done in this time period? And so uh, I started to do some leadership work in the salon and I started to bring in uh, my coach, my business coach, and we started to do these leadership round circles in my salon. Mm -hmm. And I started to develop a leadership team and I hit a, I kind of hit a wall, like a lid. And I thought to myself, why do I keep hitting this lid? I, I just couldn't seem to get past it. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a lot of John Maxwell's books and I started to research John and I started to create PowerPoints on his books <laughs> and I was PowerPointing every book that he had out. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, I really love the message that he's, he says, and I really love the way he teaches. It's very like on the bottom shelf, you know, mm -hmm. anybody could get it. You, and so I started looking into researching if he had a coaching program and they had just recently started a coaching program. And so I, I joined. I said, I want to take this leadership stuff to the next level. I want to really find out what makes people tick and how I could help them to achieve. It was no longer about, I want to teach you how to learn this haircut, but it was like, how is this haircut that you're going to learn going to contribute to your life's goal? And do you even know what those goals are? Mm -hmm. So that's really what started to light me up. You had, um, you've done a lot with the John Maxwell program. I know you're involved with a couple of other women. You have a yes. group. Yeah. Tell us about your group. Yeah. So our, our, our group is called in, we call it empowered salon leaders. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what we, all of us met at the John Maxwell team. Who all is involved? Cause I know it's quite a few of you and we've had some of your counterparts yes. on the podcast already. Can you name off your team? So sure, Nula Gilday, Kaylee Auger, Tina Black, and Rosemary Tejeda. Mm -hmm. And so all of us met at the John Maxwell team. And one of the things that really started to, to sort of transpire was here we are, all of us have, have had been in the industry for more than 20 years. Many of us are either on the art side or on the le on leadership side. Mm -hmm. um, and what is it that we all have in common? And it was that we all want to give back to our industry and we all are very passionate about leadership and we all work for the John Maxwell team. Mm -hmm. And so we started to have some round table discussions and think like, what, what do we, what can we contribute? How can we help others in our industry? And so we decided to do mastermind groups. We do them every Monday evening at 7 p.m. And it's usually on a study, a John Maxwell book. This mm -hmm. one that we're doing right now is um, called uh, Leadership 2.0. And so it, it's developing the leader within you. Um, there's another one that we're doing called uh, Becoming a Person of Influence. And it's really, um, I think what happens is people get confused at what leadership is. And mm -hmm. a lot of times we think that it's just for the owner. Mm -hmm. 
And I actually wrote a blog this morning that said, what would your, what would your life look like if you got better and not bitter? <laughs> and I feel like if people would spend more time concentrating on leadership mm-hmm. and I sort of, John Maxwell says leadership is influence, nothing more or nothing less. Mm-hmm. And I always say leadership to me is self-accountability because if we all got better, mm-hmm. our, all of our environments would be better. Mm-hmm. So, so I think with this group, our mission is to give back to our industry and help people to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, do, you think, do you think there's a distinctive difference or maybe not even distinctive, but are there underlying differences between leadership with creatives and leadership with non-creatives? Uh, yes, the belief system, mm-hmm. I should say the limited belief system of the creative. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me more about that. What do you mean? So I'm, I, I'm a balance between the two. So mm-hmm. here I am a creative, but I also think uh, analytically. So I'm a little bit of both. Um, I, I think what happens is the creative feels like if I focus too much on that, it's going to take me away from my creative process. What I've learned in leadership, personal development, mindset, is if you get better inside and you go inside, you actually, you actually get better at the creative process. You, you understand where the creative process comes from. Sure. So I think they, the creatives, sometimes do themselves a disservice Mm -hmm. by not opening up to learning more about what makes them tick, what makes them better, what makes them whole. Mm -hmm. I was having a conversation yesterday um, with a friend of mine and ours through the podcast and Mm -hmm. and, uh, through the hair color brand that we use in the salon, Kuhn. And I was talking to Amber Skripak, who's also been on the podcast before, and we were just catching up socially. And she was a at one time the busiest educator inside of their network. She was the, the most um, used, if you will. And, and she said yes to any, anything and all of it. Um, and she ran like that for a while. And I know we can all relate to, you know, that sort of being on that spin cycle. And um, she no longer does that. Um, but we were talking about that moment in time when you kind of recognize that in, if you don't, as a create, especially as a creative being, or probably all human beings, without, without taking a little bit of time and space to, because you're talking about the creative process. And I think one of the key ingredients to the creative process for most people is time that if you're always busy, like, oh, every minute in your day is a, you know, a, another appointment or a scheduled mm-hmm. thing, or I'm this and that, and then I'm, you know, then it's really hard to have that opportunity to look at new stuff. Mm-hmm. The, even the thought that that could enter. And we talked about specifically how for her, um, it took coming to a breaking point. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I know I'm sharing something that she she's already shared this on the podcast. So to go, you know, um, I need a minute, you know, and then taking that minute and then realizing she had this whole next level of stuff inside that she to, to share um, that she wasn't even able to get to yet. And, and now, you know, uh, like many people have experienced, she's doing better stuff now doing the same thing basically mm-hmm. but but at a higher level a more you know higher level of awareness um so i want to speak a little bit to your creative process because uh you wrote a blog this morning i'm guessing that's a regular thing for you mm-hmm. uh while you're also running a salon while you're also a part of a mastermind while you're also um 
still behind the chair some? No, I'm not behind the chair at all. Okay. Um, And so how does the, what does the creative process look like in your life? Um, And are there some steps maybe for somebody who would, who's trying to nurture that or, you know, what do you mean, Christine? I'm so damn busy. I can't even, you know, I don't even have time to pee during the day, much less get creative. You know, uh, what, what, how does that start? Well, for me, it's having, I have a morning routine and that morning routine is very sacred. So if it gets, if my morning routine gets interrupted, I can mm-hmm. feel like my day is off. Um, so usually in the morning, um, the first thing I do is I spend quiet time. And so I sit quietly, I do a meditation, uh, usually twice a day, once in the morning, once before I go to bed, I read. So I'm always reading something and sometimes it's five books at one time, depending on, you know, what I'm into. But uh, usually it's, I spend uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes doing an intake of something that is important to me. Uh, So you know, right now I'm reading Michael Hyatt's book on focus. Uh, so, you know, it depends really, you know, where, where I'm at in my journey. So I read and then I write. So I do, uh, you know, I have that whole reflective process going Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's very important for me to read something Uh, that is going to shift my mindset because if we don't reprogram ourselves, I find that I just go back to old habits Mm -hmm. and old belief systems. And I sort of am just on a default and I don't want to be on a default. I want to be very intentional about the direction that and the life that I want to create moving forward. So, um, So usually I read and then I do some writing and the blogs that I do, I, I do that because there's many times where I experience challenges as a leader. Uh, There's many times where I'm going through uh, changes as a leader and I want to capture those moments. And uh, if I can't physically be with people teaching them right now, then I want to contribute in some way based on my experiences. So, so that's what I, that's sort of my morning routine and my creative process right now. Mm -hmm. And inside of that and comes, you know, I'm guessing an idea might spark and then you decide how much time and energy you put into that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, I've been doing a lot of mind mapping. I don't know if you're familiar with mind mapping or you do a lot. So I built this whiteboard behind me and uh, I just sort of go to town. I think about one thing, I put it in the middle and then I start to sketch and, uh, and sort of think about, you know, what direction I want to go out of that topic. And that has been a, uh, a really great creative process because I come up with ideas or, you know, things Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have ordinarily came up with. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I know, um, you know, one of the other things that we talked about before we started this broadcast was, you know, not only we're talking about leadership and, you know, what that looks like for creatives, but we also talked a little bit about, you know, communication. You know, that's, that's a message that's, you know, ways, I don't so weigh heavy on your mind because that's not accurate. Um, that's something that's really important to you at the moment. It's something that's a message you're trying to get out there. Tell us a little bit more about that. I think the words you used were vulnerable communication. What, what do you mean by that? So uh, probably about five, maybe more, seven years, uh, I started really, um, when I opened my location in Red Bank, my new location in 2012, I saw some of the challenges that we were having as a company. And as I started to write down those challenges and journal, I always usually have a journal that I carry with me everywhere. And I'm always writing things down, you know, what, what's going well, what's not going well. What, um, and as I started to realize everything went back to the way we're communicating or for the most part, the way we're not communicating. And so I hired a, 
business coach that worked for Susan Scott, uh, Fierce Conversations. And uh, she would come to the salon and she would do several communication workshops. So every month we would have a workshop on communication. And so what we did was we started to develop a communication process. And so when we have new team members sign on, they sign on an agreement that this is the communication that we have in our company and that we're going to encourage you, not force you, but we're gonna encourage you to have authentic, vulnerable and transparent conversations. And it's a very difficult process. Mm -hmm. And I find that uh, in some ways it works out really well. And in other ways, it's very, very challenging. <laughs> uh, so I think for me, my mission, uh, if I were to say like one of the things that I really want to focus and concentrate on is to help people have real conversations mm -hmm. because I can say that majority of the challenges that we have as a business would have never occurred if we have had straight talk mm -hmm. and people would really say how they feel. Mm -hmm. um, and not only would somebody be able to have, sometimes people don't even have the chance and it's not about defending yourself, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just about having grace for one another about failing. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that if somebody could be vulnerable enough to, to say, I failed and to have a safe environment where they could fail. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really missing. And as much as we say we're a relationship industry, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel a lot of insecurity mm -hmm. and I feel a lot of people defend mm -hmm. and deflect. And I, I really would love to see a, a more safe, vulnerable and transparency in our, in our industry. Christine, I think it would be easier to teach haircutting, would it not? <laughs> you are without a doubt, you are absolutely right. But I, I, I would hate to say, if I, was in a, if I was training to be a hairdresser, I would, right. I would hate to say that being great as a hairdresser is impossible. So I don't think it's impossible. And I really do feel that I, I just am super passionate about this because I think this ties to goals. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I believe it ties to goals because I think there's a fear that people have about living into who they really could possibly and potentially be. Right. I, I, you know, I would add on to what you just said and, and say there's, a, there's a, a juxtaposition, if that's the right word, of another fear that is, I'm afraid I'll get exposed. Mm. If what if I what if I miss? What if right. I what if I try, and I fail? Yeah. Um, and and it's this conversation literally gives me goosebumps because I just looked up Bernice Brown. I was trying to remember the yeah, woman. Brene, yeah, Brene, Brene Brown, who mm. talks about vulnerability, and you know with this whole new cancel culture thing that people are talking about right now, mm -hmm. I can't imagine if somebody's having authentic thoughts right now that they wanted to put out, what would happen if they were the wrong thoughts and didn't go with what everybody else, I mean, the fear around this is so real and deep that what, you know, when people, I think when people hear those words, authentic, vulnerable, open discussion, oh, sure, I'm, I'm you know, I even hear people say, I'm brutally honest. And I, and I say, bull fucking shit. You're not brutally honest. You're, you, you, you only, just swear on this podcast. Um, yeah. You only say the stuff that makes you sound tough. But when it gets real, when you might expose a weakness, 
it's so scary. And I know you were just about to dig deep into that, but, but why is it so scary for us to say what we're really thinking? And why, and how can we do it in a way that doesn't blowtorch the person on the end, the other end of the conversation? I, I've had people say to me, you're too vulnerable or you're too transparent with my team. Mm -hmm. And I say, good. Because if I can't be human, then I don't want to be. I want to be who I am. And I want to people to understand that because I'm a leader doesn't mean that I'm this invincible human being without feelings because I'm a salon owner that, you know, I'm a business person and it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there and do these mm -hmm. things. And it takes a lot of courage for one of your employees to speak to you about money and it takes a lot of courage. And I feel like we're forgetting about how difficult these conversations are. And we're forgetting about how difficult it is for a young person to talk to an influencer and one of the biggest influencers in their life, who's your boss. And to have this conversation of, I don't even know how to talk about money. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, we're, they're expected to come in and, and talk about getting a raise or they're expected. I think it's just, we have to be human. Like they're nervous and they're scared. And we have a huge responsibility as their leaders. And we have to show that we're, we are vulnerable too. And that we're afraid and that we don't always make the right choices. And that there is a safe place for everybody within our culture and in our walls to make mistakes. And I feel like if we had an environment that was like that, we would have m much less people jumping ship to think that the grass is always greener on the other side, because unfortunately you're taking yourself and your scared self with you. And mm -hmm. someday you're going to have to face that courage. You're going to have to name that fear, whatever it is. And that fear may be that, you don't feel like you're good enough. You don't feel like you're smart enough. You don't feel whatever it is, but that fear is going to happen one day. And one day you are going to have to claim it and no one else can claim it for you. And so if we were all resourced and worked hard as leaders to be able to create an environment like that, I feel like our industry would be different. Hmm. Love that. Thank you, Christine. Um, how how does your how does your team work with this new level of communication? How are they? Not I mean, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us about oh, that. So I'm very transparent. Right. I, um, I'm not the type of salon owner, and it's it doesn't serve me well always monetarily. I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I don't do things for money. Mm -hmm. It just, I doesn't, I just don't. I, I do things to try to do things because I feel that they're right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like I want a company that's a certain way. And if I'm going to learn it, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm that person. Sure. So usually what happens is I blow things up and <laughs> then I try again. Right. And so I'm, I'm just not the, I'm not very good at pushing things under the rug and saying, okay, well, let's not like, you know, uh, ruffle anybody's feathers or let's not like, you right. know, because it's gonna, you know, cause the numbers to go down. I'm like, let's throw dynamite in there and like <laughs> really, you know, go for it because I want to yep. see like really how people react and, maybe we can get some results and change things. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a challenge. The communication has definitely been a challenge, but I do think that people want it. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to get it. Mm -hmm. And if I was in the salon 24 seven with my experience, mm -hmm. 
I feel like it would probably be slightly different. I think my challenge as a salon owner now is equipping mm -hmm. my leaders with the training that I have had so right. that they can then make my team, you know, have that safe place and they could be vulnerable. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges uh, for salon leaders is how do I equip my leaders and sort of hand this baton because right. I did it with the haircutting process. Mm -hmm. I was able to train my leaders how to cut hair and color hair and then train others. Uh, but it, it, when it really came down to it, it was the leadership and the communication that was the most challenging part to translate. So that's really where I, I spend the most time. And if I'm gonna hire a leader in my company, I wanna make sure that they're equipped or they at least want to be equipped with that information. Love that. Good deal. Um, I'm, I'm watching time fly by here. So I, I just want to, I want to openly say that to say, I, I have a couple of more questions, Sure, John, but I want to check in with you first, John. Um, Ask away. Go ahead. Well, I, I want to go back to your master. First of all, just thank you. This has been such a great conversation so far. And I'm, I'm take, I think this is one of every now and then we have a guest on a few, a few um, visits ago, and I can't remember exactly who it was. <laughs> But John was asking questions <laughs> for himself. I know it. <laughs> Listen, for some reason, everybody thinks we do this podcast for everybody else. No, that's before us. Yeah. So I, I'm doing that now. Got it. Um, I want to go back to your masterminds. Um, first of all, how, how would I I'm, – I'm the listener. I'm loving everything Christine is saying. Um, I love this empowered salon leaders thing. You guys do masterminds. How do we find you? How do how do we hook well, up with you as either a coach or empowered salon leaders? Where do we where do we do that at? Okay, so well, you could always go to my Instagram, Christine Zelinsky, and there is a link. You spell your last name. Z I L I N S K I. So you can go to my Instagram, and there's a link in my bio uh, for anything that we're working on. And then we also have a Facebook group um, that is uh, Salon Owners and Leaders. So, uh, and- It's called Salon Owners yes, and Leaders. Yes, yes. And we are changing the name to Empowered Salon Leaders. Okay. So- and I'll have those both linked in the notes below. So if you're listening and you can just scroll down and you'll see those links there. Mm -hmm. Um, and is there an, an email address or another way people contact you? Or sure, is it they could contact me at salonconcrete at gmail. And that's, that's my email. And then I'll get them any link that they need for any of the masterminds. Awesome. And um, great. And they can find we, out all the information. We also have a YouTube channel, okay. which is Empowered Salon Leaders. Awesome. Uh, that's awesome. So on the, on the masterminds, how long have you all been doing that? Um, so we've been doing it together as a group for the past four months okay. and then each of us does them separately like tina holds different uh masterminds uh i hold i've been holding masterminds i do them with my team and then also um you know through my own company awesome. and um so, so what are so what are some of the hot topics that are happening on those masterminds now i guess i'm just you know as we're winding down time i'm thinking of my best last question and that's kind of what 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 problems are you all troubleshooting right now and what's you know something that um is coming out of this that people could uh i would i would say that the challenge um I wouldn't say there's one challenge. I would just say leadership as a whole has been, you know, the challenge for most salon leaders that have been on the, that uh, mastermind group. I mean, they're there because they want to get better. And I think one of the things that we spoke about this week, the chapters that we went over were integrity and nurturing. So, 
how important is it for you to work on your integrity as a leader? And how important is it to become a nurturer? And how, how, how does that help you as a leader? And so that would just give you an example of some of the topics that we discuss. And I think the feedback that we get for our group is this feels like a really safe place for us to share what isn't working in a real way. So, you know, there's this, the same thing that I said before is that that transparency and vulnerability, uh, we're, we're able to have that in these mastermind groups because they're small enough that mm -hmm. we're able to have them in, in the mastermind groups. And people are really able to speak up and say, you know what? I, I am, I thought my value was integrity, but after I read this chapter, I realized I got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And so if I could say that the one thing that they do walk away with is self-evaluation and really understanding that they don't really, they're not as good as they thought they were when they, when they entered. Sure. <laughs> say that, that, that self-evaluation is probably one of the number one things that you would need if you're, if you're looking to, you know, transform, step up, become a better leader, become a better employee. Yes. I mean, for sure. There's, there's no question. And, and I don't believe that everyone is ready for that. They're, they show up when they're ready. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can't force people to grow at the pace that you're growing. And, you know, if somebody's going to grow at a smaller, you know, scale along the way, and they only want to take very small bite-sized pieces, then that's what they want. My dog is barking. You I, probably I, was gonna, I wasn't sure who I was about to point fingers at. <laughs> we always love a good barking dog. We love baby cry. You know, it just adds to the podcast. So, mm -hmm. you know, sorry, all the cat people, you know, uh, Christine has a dog. She's a dog person. We just found out. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like there's just been so much good in this conversation. I, I have to say, Christine, I, I, I of course had, you know, you always go into a conversation with some expectations. I always expect it to be good. I don't know that I expected to feel like I'm beaming. Uh, John, I'm, I'm looking at you through the screen here and I'm curious what you're taking away. Um, there's just so much. You know, I love the conversation we had with Christine today because it, it covered so much, you know, whether it was the leadership piece, whether it was the authentic, you know, communication. But I like going back to your pod, uh, not your podcast, your TED Talk about that whole piece of identity and not just identity in regards to how I see myself, but how I want the world to see me, how I want to be able to take control over my own life. I think that was kind of something I knew as a hairdresser, but maybe forgot. Um, and I love that you brought that back. Um, and so thank you for that. That was a great gift. Um, you're welcome. That's awesome. Yeah. Christine, knowing we have everywhere from hair school students, cosmetology school students, all the way on up. Um, anything you think we left on the table or some words you want to leave us with? Yeah, I would, um, I would say for all of you, uh, there's, there's one, there's one piece where people ask me, you know, what, what helps you to be a learner? Because I think that's really what's most important is that we continue on the journey. Uh, and what, what really helps me to be a learner is to uh, really foster my curiosity. Mm -hmm. And so when, I, when I'm with somebody, even on a coaching aspect, it's always to be curious and ask more questions. And so when I'm with my team, you know, it's always to be curious and ask them more questions about helping them discover more of themselves than they did before. And so what I would leave with is, you know, one of the things that may help you grow and to be better is to just spend time asking yourself more questions. And I feel like you'll get better answers. 
That's amazing. Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in, and I love that about these podcasts. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're watching those listens go up. There, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand, it's down by your lap, I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews, you know you want to do it, you know you love this podcast, share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets gets his wings. (laughs) Did you know that? Yeah, and while that angel is getting his wings, it helps us move up, Um, you know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world help share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same Uh, in hours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.